21 and just 22 tonight. As we make our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, 1 Chronicles, chapter 21, again continuing in the life of King David. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that it would accomplish its purposes in our life tonight. Thank you for those serving, and Lord, that we did, and we were able to get online tonight to bless those who are not with us, Lord, and those over the air uh, in Myrtle Beach. So we ask, Lord, that you just touch us, and Lord, that we would hear from you tonight in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. (laughs) Weren't we just in 1 Chronicles? Yes. 2 Samuel, chapter 24, verse 1. Second Samuel, 24, verse 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And note with me, it says, And he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel, and Judah. What? Turn back to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Everybody's getting a workout tonight. Verse 1, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. What? I thought, what? Let's take a look at this. 2 Samuel says that the Lord moved David to number Israel because of his anger, and his anger was kindled against the nation. Here in Chronicles, we're told that Satan incited the nation, or incited David to the action. Now, we have something called the non-contradictory mind in the West. Was that a big word for everybody? We have been trained in education with a Greek mindset. Not a Jewish mindset, a Greek mindset. Now, this is important for you to understand, or you will not understand a lot in the Bible. So a Greek mindset is a non-confrontational or contradictory, which means you cannot have two views that contradict. One must be what? And one must be, that's how you and I in the West have been taught from our childhood. You have two, two views, one must be wrong, one must be right. It's not how we roll in Judaism. Because in the Bible, they don't think that way. They were never trained that way. In fact, they can hold two separate opinions and they both be Correct. And that hampers so many people, and they go, well, then it's a contradiction. No, it's not. It's only a contradiction if you think of it the way that you and I were raised. We were not raised with a Jewish mindset. 
Now remember, most people have a problem with the Bible because they don't know the context of the Bible. They don't know the writer of the Bible, why he is writing it that way to that people, to that time. And then we take our view in 2020 and go, well, it must be false because we are reading it from a Greek mindset. Does everybody get that? Because I can't go forward until you understand that you could have these two views and they're both correct. Got it? So in 2 Samuel, which gives us a lot more, remember we're looking at Chronicles through the lens of Ezra after the captivity in Babylon and the Medes and the Persians, they're back and they're, they're shedding light on King David in a more favorable light. How many of you, as a kid, heard the, and you know I hate this word, story, because they're historical accounts in the Bible, they're not stories. But how many of you, as a kid, heard the stories of King David? What would you say is the number one thing you remember about King David? David and who? Why don't you know about the census? We'll let the plane go by. Why don't you know that? Because the Bible is shedding light on David's positive and not the negatives. Oh, you know about Bathsheba, but that's not the first thing you learn as a kid. You learn David and Goliath because he is the hero to the Jewish people. Are you starting to see? They're coming back to the land. The land is destroyed. There is no temple. There are barely any walls, and they need a hero. Do they not? They don't need someone's... They need a hero. In this nation, we need a hero again. We need somebody that, I believe, the other day said something that was really powerful. Don't let COVID control your life. No leader has said that till now. I mean, you and I know that. You, we think of it. But for someone to communicate, they were like, well, that was really refreshing. And so the nation of Israel desperately needs to look to their former leaders. And that's what the chronicler is doing. He's shedding light on David. Now, that applies to us in this way. It's like the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. God looks at them through the lens of the cross. And he shows us his grace and his mercy upon people we would think, why are you calling them righteous? I read the Old Testament. I don't think it's the same version you're reading. And yet, what does God do? Through the lens of the cross is grace and mercy. And so for us, God does not highlight our failures, but our, anybody, success? Just what we are doing now in the body of Christ. The positives rather than the negatives on this side of the cross. This is the grace and the mercy that God is pouring upon us. Should we put everybody's faults on the screen? <laughs> 
don't you just like that you're in Calvary Chapel, Myrtle Beach with a Bible in your hand and woohoo Jesus? All right? Well, so too with a chronicler. So let's take a look at 2 Samuel 24, 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Let's reconcile them because David's failure here is the same failure that got Satan in trouble, but there was a backstory to it, just like Job. Remember, Job doesn't know what's going. He doesn't know Job chapter 1 and 2. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that Satan and God are having a conversation about him because I'm sure if he did, he'd be like, hey, can we knock that off with the tornadoes and the killing and the sores? And he didn't know the backstory of what was going on. So to you and I, if we're not careful and not know the backstory, we look at this like so many people and say there's a contradiction, therefore the Bible cannot be trusted. That's not what it says. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, we are, David is at, uh, right around 50 to 55 years old, and at that time, Absalom, his son, just had a coup d'etat kind of like how we're learning about the FBI and the CIA right now. Remember I tell you everything will be revealed, amen? I hope, well, all right, you know what I hope. Let's not go there. Everything will be revealed. Well, Absalom had a coup d'etat against his dad, and the problem was most of Israel went along with that. Now, who was Israel's true king? It was David. It wasn't Absalom, and it was never going to be Absalom. It was later on, as we will see, Solomon was going to take the reign. But because of Israel's choice to follow the wrong leader, wait for it, we're going to see the consequences in this chapter. There are consequences to following the wrong leader. They didn't teach you that when you were singing the song, right? I'm following the leader. If you don't laugh, I will keep singing. <laughs> so we've got a problem in Israel, don't we? We've got somebody who is usurping the authority that God had ordained on King David we have the nation, for the most part, going along with that. So God is now angered at the nation of Israel. 2 Samuel 24, it says that he allowed this to happen because of their sin. So God is going to allow Satan to do what Satan does, and he is going to use that for his purposes to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel. Whoo! That's a long way around making the point of these two chapters. Do you see that? They're both true. God did what he did, and Satan will do what he did only because God allowed Satan to do that. Now, we're going to see that David has a pride issue. It was Satan's problem as well. But God permitted this to happen so that he could bring judgment upon Israel, and as we'll see, a targeted judgment upon Israel. Note with me, he says, go number Israel. 
This was dangerous because of the principle stated in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, which says, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, and every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. And when you number them, that there may be no plague among you when you go to number there. Now, God had done census before, but we will see tonight's census is different. David is not numbering the people. David is doing a military count. This is not a general census as in Exodus 30. This has nothing to do with the population. This is David trying to figure out how many soldiers he has. So it becomes dangerous because the children of Israel are not David's. They are whose? They are the Lord's. And so numbering is of the Lord, and that is his job to do. Well, let's take, we're out of verse 1. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan. Now, wow, a big cookie in heaven, if you know what's off right away. All right, no big cookie for you. In the Bible, when it's mentioned the territory, it's always Dan to Beersheba. It's backwards already. Already out of the gate, David says, no, no, go count them from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number to me that I might know. Now, Joab, Joab is his... um, his general, the, the guy that uh, is uh, able to speak truth into David's life when not a lot of people could. So yes, he is the, the commander of all the forces of Israel, but he is also somebody close enough to David that Joab feels that he can speak truth into David's life. And it proves it out right here. And he says, look, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servant? Then why does my Lord require this thing? And why should he be a cause of, listen to Joab, guilt in Israel? What I love about this is that God always gives us an out before we sin. And he is giving him an out right here. He could have listened. Hey, you know what, Joab? You're totally right. I'm being a bonehead. I was just thinking about pride and about military. So you know what? You're right. I don't want anything that's going to harm Is We're going to see 70,000 people die because of David today. And he says, why should this guilt be on Israel. Nevertheless, because Joab has to do this. Those who serve at the pleasure of the president of the United States or the king of Israel, they obey and they do it. And so he says, nevertheless, the king, at the king's word, it, it, it prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went through all of Israel, and he came to Jerusalem. Now, 
the chronicler here, he, he has got the Reader's Digest version, condenses it down because in 2 Samuel, it takes nine months for this to happen. Aren't you glad we can just go into verse 5? Then Joab gave the sum of the people to David, and all of Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi nor Benjamin among them, for the king's word was an abomination to Joab. So what, what do we get from the census? Remember, it proves that this is not a general census. This is a census to figure out how many troops he has. By the number that he has, we have roughly around 6 million Jews living in the land at this time. So he has over 1 million uh, troops as well as those well-trained um, troops from Judah, which is 470,000 men who drew the sword. Please note with me, he doesn't count the Levites. <laughs> During my family's devotion today, we're in uh, Deuteronomy, and we were talking about the Levites, how the Levites don't have a portion uh, of the land. Uh, they don't have land, so God tells the people to remember the Levites to, ready for it, feed them because they have cities, but they don't have land because their job was to minister before the Lord to take care of the things of the temple and to help the people with sacrifices. So he tells them here, don't mention Levite. And by the way, by the time we get back, Benjamin is the smallest of the tribe, so it would seem that we're just not going to count them at all. But note with me that Joab now, his relationship with David changes. It says that it was an, it was an abominable to him. Joab had a real problem with what David was doing. And so God was displeased with this thing, therefore he struck Israel. So David said, verse 8, to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I've done very foolishly. Now let's pause again and remember, because people are about to have a hard time with these next couple of verses. They shouldn't because I set the whole thing up in the beginning to get us to this point. The reason why judgment is coming upon Israel is because their failure with Absalom and going along with that. And so now God is allowing it all to play out. Again, so many times we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, so let us not say that is not fair God. You don't get to arm chair quarterback God like we said last Sunday. You don't get to complain on Wednesday after the Tuesday election if you don't vote. Well, so too here. We're going to see that God is accomplishing what he is accomplishing. And if you read this without knowing the backstory behind it, you too could fall into the same trap as many Greek thinking people. Well, let's see what happens from David's sin as well as the nation. Now, David has totally sinned, and he owns up to his sin. Does everybody see that? David knows his responsibility, 
and he knows that God is going to chastise him and he's going to punish him for it. We live in a nation that doesn't believe in consequences for their action. You could just go and burn down a city. Oh, you're just, it's all right. You're just getting your frustration out. There is always consequences for our sin. And yes, even King David. And without knowing those consequences and seeing them, that then this would not be a good learning opportunity for us. Well, I'd like you to note there at the end of verse 8, he says, I've done very foolishly. He was stupid, and he admits it to God. That is very important. Uh, long ago, I was at a, at a conference. I think it was a youth conference. I can't remember. But the, the leader was telling the kids, listen, you need to confess your sins to the Lord and say exactly what it is. Don't beat around the bush. Lord, this is what my sin is. I did this. I was a bonehead. Notice, I did this foolishly. And so the Lord spoke to Gad, that's David's seer or prophet, saying, go tell David, thus says the Lord, I will offer you three things. Now choose one of them for yourself that I might do this to you. <laughs> so <laughs> let's see David's choices here. So Gad came to David, verse 11, and said, Thus says the Lord David, choose for yourself. Either three years of famine, okay, that's choice one, probably not good. Three months of defeat by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you. Now David, up to this point, has literally taken all of his enemies out. He is not choosing door number two here. He had not letting that back in. He just took everyone out. So that's out of there. Or three days of the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, notice, with the angel of the Lord, one angel destroying throughout all the territory. Now consider what answer I will take back to him who sent me. So God, very clear, you got three choices, famine, you got your enemies coming in, or three days, notice, did you pick it up, the angel targeting, and so let's see what David says. Verse 13, David said to God, I am in great distress, <laughs> uh, no duh, <laughs> you're the leader of the nation of Israel and partly because of your sin, remember, partly because of, of David's pride and partly because of the nation of Israel going along with the wrong leader, Absalom, partly because of that. He says, I'm in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hands of man. So David is telling us what he would like, but please note with me what David does. This is great. He says, Lord, ready for it? Do with me as you will. I'm wrong. Lord, do with me what seems best to you. How many of you do that? Uh, for the record, nobody... 
Do you see why King David is amazing? Oh, he sinned greatly in these areas. I'm not sugarcoating his life, but I see a man who has a heart after God, who truly says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit. This is the man who wrote the Psalms. He gave us the 23rd Psalm. This is a man, when he sins, he knows it, he owns it, and he comes before the Lord. This is a right relationship with God, which I would, uh, not only myself, but everyone, we would do well to heed King David in these areas. Not in the other areas, just in these areas. But notice with me, he says, but do not let me fall into the hands of man, which means, Lord, I, I don't want my enemies coming in and disrupting the land. And so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel. Please note with me, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. Now it says men. I'm not sure if there was women in there, but probably not just men. And I want you to see the targeted response from God. Now it is my firm belief And it really doesn't matter. This is not a salvation issue. Don't send me letters or notes or email. We'll talk about it in heaven over the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have a good laugh and you'll know you're wrong. No. It is my firm belief that these 70,000 are the ones that align themselves with Absalom. Got that? Now, this is good. Because David doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know the behind the scenes. He doesn't know what God is doing. Oftentimes, we don't either. And yet, we say, God, that's not fair. And God says, you don't know what's going on, David. I need to bring judgment upon these men who went against you, who I had ordained. And if I allow that rebellion to continue, then open rebellion happens and it gets worse. You see that? So let's see this targeted judgment upon the Lord. So 70,000 men of Israel fell, and God sent an angel to Jerusalem. I don't know if he just showed up. He's got his sweatshirt. It says angel. We're going to see this guy has a sword and a sheath. I want to watch this video. So God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he, as he was destroying it, the Lord looked and noticed and relented, which means brought the severity down. Because that's God's mercy. That's how God operates. So he brings the severity of the disaster down, and he said to the angel who was destroying, it's enough. Now restrain your hand. And so the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite. Now, this is in Jerusalem. The city of David is south of what the old city of the Jebusites was. And so we have Ornon here. Ornon the Jebusite. It gets better. (laughs) Then David lifted up his eyes because he is in the city of David which is south of the Temple Mount. And where David is in the Temple Mount, you could look straight up to the Temple Mount, and David could see clearly from where David's palace was, less than a half a mile, 
at the most it was a mile, but it was probably about a half a mile. You can walk out of the old city of Jerusalem, out of that gate, walk down the street, and you walk right into the city of David. Those of you who went to Israel, you know it was a short walk for us to take to the city of David. And so David, I, I mean, think about this. David knows what's going on. Maybe he's on the roof of his home, on the palace there, and all of a sudden he sees this angel who is standing, notice, between earth and heaven. That's got to stick out. Like, I don't see that every day. Notice in his hand is a drawn, he doesn't have it back in a sheath yet. It's drawn and it's stretched out against Jerusalem. So David and the elders, they clothe themselves in sackcloth and they fall on their faces. That was a sign of mourning to the Jews. And so David said to God, you're going to pray right there, anybody else? You gotta see an angel there. He's got a sword and he's between here and there and he's bright and whoo, you're gonna pray. Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? Please hear the heart of David. I am the one who has sinned and done this evil indeed, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O God, my Lord, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people that they should be plagued. So David sees it continuing. Again, David doesn't know what's going on behind the scenes. He doesn't know what God is judging. Therefore, verse 18, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David, that David should go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. So David is in the city of David, half a mile uh, below the Temple Mount, which will later on be the Temple Mount, and he sees that, and the angel says, go up there and build an altar. So David went up at the word of Gad, which he had spoken in the name of the Lord. Now Ornon turned... (laughs) Now, here is Ornon, the Jebusite. This guy is not a Jew. This is a run-of-the-mill pagan, minding his own pagan business, (laughs) whatever pagans were doing, and he is at the threshing floor. And so he turns and he sees the angel and his four sons who were with them, and what did they do? They hid themselves, you would too. But notice, Ornon continued threshing wheat. It's like this guy's like... I've seen that before. <laughs> the boys are hiding. Anyway, I'm just going to keep working. So David came to Ornon, and Ornon looked and saw David, and he went out from the threshing floor, and he bowed before David to the ground. Ornon knows who David is, yes. He knows he's the king. And so David said to Ornon, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I might build an altar to the Lord. And you shall grant to me the full price that the plague may be withdrawn for the people. Now, there is something very important here. We don't have a whole lot of time to to kind of expand it out because I've taught on this before. uh, when, When we are in the Gospels, we mention this. Uh, In verse 22, it says, the place. Do you see the place? 
want you to circle that or underline that because when we get to Golgotha, it says, and they took Jesus to the place. This is all going to pan out for us in a minute. The place is very important. God wants David to take this place, specifically this area of land that is not being occupied, but it is the only place on the Temple Mount that is flat because you need a flat area with a threshing floor and you need it at great height. The Temple Mount right now, if you go with us, it's high, but there is something higher than the Temple Mount and it is Golgotha, the the skull where Jesus was crucified. There is so much here to unpack. It's wonderful because David here takes the place, God marks the place where the temple will ultimately be built, where the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant will be there. And then later on, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world will be crucified. And it says, the place. So, the place is now about to be purchased. So, verse 23, But Ornon said to David, Take it yourself and let my lord the king do what is good in his eye. I also give you an oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing implements for wood, and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. Now, how about that? Ornon's like, look, you're the king. This is my land, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you the oxen. I'm going to give you the wood because, frankly, I don't want to see that guy anymore. (laughs) Whatever is going to get that guy with the big sword away, let's do that. Verse 24, please get ready to underline. Then King David said to Ornon, no, but I will surely buy it for a full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor burnt offering, here it is, with that which costs me nothing. David says, when I sacrifice to the Lord, it must cost me something. You cannot become a believer in Jesus Christ and not have it cost you something. Be it family, be it a job, or a career, or something else, your walk with God must be given as a sacrifice. It must cost you something. When we uh, do retreats often, and we're doing this one like this, but we have learned that if you don't charge people, they don't take it seriously. Even just something we put in as a dollar amount. And then there becomes wealth to it, a value to it. David says, my devotion to God and my sacrifice to God is something of value and I am going to take what is valuable to me and I'm going to lay it down so that that which cost me nothing I don't want anyone ever coming back and say, well, you didn't pay for it. Now, this becomes important right now in 2020. Why is this so important? Well, it's kind of really exciting. 
Are you ready for it? David just bought the Temple Mount. Why is that a big deal, Pastor? Because Islam is on the Temple Mount. Did they buy it? No. Who owns it? The Jews. David owns, the Jews own the Temple Mount. What's even more exciting, whoo, if we could get our biblical archaeology out, do you know that up on the Temple Mount, we have the Dome of the Rock, we have the Al-Asqa Mosque, um, and then there's a smaller building called the, I think it's like the Dome of the Scrolls, but it's really small, and it's north of the Dome of the Rock. By the way, go to Israel with us when you can. We'll get into it. Netanyahu and Israel just shut down Israel completely. They don't think it will reopen even till next year. So, but there's some prophetic stuff in there that we will unpack, hopefully Micah and I, on a future roundtable discussion. But nowhere on the Temple Mount is there a flat surface other than this small little temple called the Dome of the Scrolls. Not in the Alaska Mosque, not in the Dome of the Rock that they claim that Allah went to heaven in. The Jews own this land. It's their land. David bought it, and the Jews will soon have it back. It's coming. But do you see this? And yet the world still debates whether or not President Trump did a good thing by putting our embassy in Jerusalem. It's the Jews' homeland, all the way back to Ornon. Uh, Your Honor, I would like to call Ornon, the Jebusite. Looking a little bad right now, but let's call him up. Did you sell David this land? Yep. We're going to see at a price that was way above what he should have paid for it. It's the Jews who own this land. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. This land is their land. That mount, that place which Christ will eventually be crucified is in the hands of not Israel today. Now, David gave Ornon 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. And so David built an altar to the Lord. And it's more, in the Hebrew, it's the altar. It's in the definite. This is the place. And from this place, Solomon will build, are you ready for it? Solomon's temple. Who's who's buried in Grant's tomb? Most people won't get that joke. So David built an altar to the Lord, and he offered a burnt offering and a peace offering, and he called on the name of the Lord, and he answered him from heaven. Now, don't you want this? You, you want to see this scene, but you don't want to be close to it. This is way before Elijah. It says that fire comes down from heaven upon the altar on the burnt offering. The burnt offering is completely consumed. This tells us that God approves of David and what he just purchased 
and he and God puts the stamp of approval upon it's like God's a notary. Done. It's yours. It's the nation of Israel. And so the Lord commanded, verse 27, the angel, and he returned his sword to his shield. It's like, okay, good. He put the, he put the sword away. And at that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornon the Jebusite, notice he sacrificed there. Again, it's in the definite, that was his place to sacrifice, and he wouldn't sacrifice anywhere else. For notice, the tabernacle, that's the tent of meeting, and the altar and the burnt offering which Moses had made in the wilderness were at that time at the high place of Gibeon. But David could not go to inquire of God before it, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Now, Verse 1 of chapter 22. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. So David makes a proclamation, and he says, this is where it's going to be. And so David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel. And so he appointed masons to to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And so David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors and the gates, the joints, the bronze in abundance. My son is young and inexperienced. And the houses to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all of the countries. And I will now prepare for it. And so David made an abundant preparation before his death. So... Solomon is young, David is old, we'll see in the next chapter it says, and David is advanced in years. I love how the Bible is gentle with those you who are old, you are advanced in years. And But note that with me, yes, David is in his 50s, 260s, that doesn't mean he stopped serving God. In fact, he got ready that which the next generation was going to use for the purposes of God. You got that? You don't get to get old and retire and stop working for God. You get things ready so the next generation can use the materials that you've set aside for the purposes of God so that they could be successful. David wanted his son, as soon as he died, boom, start the building process. And that temple and the block was there, it was numbered, and they were ready to go. So David gathered all of this together to get it ready to go. It says that David made an abundant preparation before his death. I would love, because I'm a construction guy in that, I'd love to see this site and what it looked like. The wood pile, the stone pile, the gold pile, the bronze pile, the iron pile, all laid out, numbered. You ever get those Ikea directions? We've talked about Chinese directions in the past, but the Ikea, a little bit better, still a little bit low on the font. Let's raise that up a little bit. But you got that? Here's the number. It's put one with one and two, and now they've got them color-coded for us. That's exactly what David did. 
he wanted his son to be successful and he set forth and he set piles so he could. And then he called for his son Solomon and he charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And so Solomon said, or so David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build the house to the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, For you have shed much blood, and you have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Again, David was a warrior. But David had an important job. David's job was to make peace all around Israel so his son could build it and could establish it. Kind of hard to build a temple when you've got your enemies firing upon you. And so David's job was the dirty job, but it was the necessary job. Everybody has different roles in the body of Christ. And some of us have a really dirty job, but it needs to be accomplished so that the building of the body of Christ when we gather together can happen. Who likes your coffee in the morning? Don't you love toilet paper in the bathroom? Nobody. You like that. There are things that need to happen. And it happens because people are doing those roles. David did that as well. He continues, Behold, a son, verse 9, shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all of his enemies all around, and his name will be Solomon, which means rest, and I will give him peace and quietness to Israel all of his days, and he shall build a house in my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of of his kingdom of Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord as he said to you. So David is not only preparing the building material, he is also preparing his son to do the work. So there's two preparations going on at the same time. We have the job site, and then we have the job of Solomon being built up. And so David now is going to speak to his son and encourage him. Notice, first, may the Lord be with you. Nothing is going to happen. Notice the next thing, prosper. And don't think prosper like the word faith movement and money. It just means that it will go well with you. Your life will prosper in so many different ways. It goes well with you when the Lord is is with you. Not only that, only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding. As David is telling Solomon this, when we get to Solomon and he does ask the Lord, what does he ask for? He remembers what dad told him. I know that's shocking. Some of you remember what dad told you. And it's there. And he remembers, oh, get wisdom and understanding. And give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Now, sadly, Solomon will fail in that. And he will follow in his father's footsteps in a bad path as well. 
Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments, which with the Lord uh, charged Moses concerning Israel. Now be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismay. Now how can he say that to Solomon? Because his enemies have been all taken care of. Hey, trust in the Lord. Don't fear or be dismayed. Guys, the worst thing in the, on planet earth has always been fear. And there are people who use fear to dominate other people. They use shame. They even use laws or mandates that are not really laws. But they use fear because it is effective and it has been effective for the last 6,000 years. He continues. 13, then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and the judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For indeed I have taken much trouble to prepare the house of the Lord, 100,000 talents of gold, 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant I have prepared timber and stone that it may be added unto you. Now, we're not going to get into the numbers of what we think. There are people who sit and try to calculate the tonnage. Some say it's over 50,000 tons of gold and silver, which would put it roughly in today's market, $20 billion. Does that blow your mind? The point? It's a lot. Moreover, there are workmen. Not only did he provide the materials, he got the workers. And so there are workers in abundance, woodsmiths, stonecutters, and all the types of skillful men for every kind of work. Of gold and silver, bronze and iron, notice there is no limit. Please note good advice. Arise and begin working. How can anything get accomplished in the body of Christ if people do not arise and begin working? It is often said that 20% of the people inside of the church do most of the work. And that's why a lot of the work of the Lord doesn't get done because people do not arise and begin working. Notice, When we arise and begin working, the Lord will be with you. And David also commanded all of the leaders of Israel. He said, hey, help Solomon out, saying, it's not the Lord your God, uh, I'm sorry, is not the Lord your God with you? And has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord, And before his people. Now set your heart to seek the Lord your God. What great advice when you're in a building project. Set your heart on the things of the Lord and not the planning department. Government officials. Tom and I run into this all the time. We run into these various problems up at Arrowwood and we're kind of planning through them and then then some official gets involved with it, and there's kind of like that, uh because we live in Horry County. But up there, there's freedom. 
It's totally different here in Horry County than it is in Spartanburg County. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to get into that because they might be watching. But it's funny, Tom will send me a text or something and say, man, it was no big deal. We talked to this person, we talked to this person, and they go, no big deal, they're going to help us, it's great. It's like, wonderful. Why? Set your heart and seek the Lord, and then he's going to do the work. It's not our work, it's his work. We're just along for the ride. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord your God, bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that it is to be built for the name of the Lord. David could do what David did for Solomon because he had taken out the enemies of the Lord first. Of course, by the hand of not only God, but Joab and these mighty men. God often wants us to do great things. But we're gripped by fear. And we never do anything for the body of Christ. We never get into the game. We continue to sit. Now, you might say, well, pastor, I don't know what to do. Well, there are a couple of things you can do. It's very easy. You can be praying about the efforts that we're doing with Arrowwood. You can give. That's a no-brainer. You can come up to the property. When we got a men's retreat, women's retreat, when we've got these things, help out. Seek the Lord. And don't be, I quote the president today, <laughs> gripped by fear. Don't let it dominate your life. It's just a virus. Because as a follower of Christ, I know where I'm going. Virus, Myrish. Just something tiny, but God is greater than that. And if he wants you to be well, you're going to be well. Now, I am not telling you to go to Walmart and lick the floor. That's what my kids have done. That's why they're immune to everything. Bring it on. I've got kids that lick the floor at Walmart. We have to be wise, and we have to be smart, and we have to do our due diligence but I, I can't let it dominate my life and hold up in a basement my entire existence because of something that if God wants me to get, he's gonna, I'm going to get it. And if he doesn't want me to get it, I'm not going to get it. I'm still going to be smart, but I'm not going to let it dominate me. I'm not going to let the world dictate to me that we shouldn't come to church. I'm going to obey I'm going to obey the Lord. Well, read ahead next week. I can't wait till we read all of these names for the, you know we won't. So you should read them, see how well you pronounce them <laughs> as we move forward. But now we're going to see David organizing the Levites, the priests, the mu musicians. Listen, so when Solomon shows up and the temple's done, everybody is ready. The band is ready. The salt is ready. They use salt, everything in motion so that Solomon would be successful. 
I pray that we would do the same thing so the next generation, Lord willing, if he chooses, would be just as successful as Solomon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for King David. Lord, for his examples and his life. Lord, even the life of King Solomon with all of his failures as well. Lord, we we hold in our hand a book that has great heroes. But those heroes we see have great failures. And so, Lord, we learn from them. We learn from Goliath, and we learn from the numbering in the senses as well. Thank you, Lord, for our building, for a place to meet. Lord, we ask that you would cast out the fear of anybody in the room. Lord, we love you and we thank you for our time. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said,